Oh, good evening. Uh, it is a delight and an honor to be here. Uh, I have heard about this church for a long time. Uh, I regularly go to some of the other churches as part of the Expositors Seminary, and they've said, have you been up there in Lynchburg? I said, no. Uh, do you know the pastor? I have not met the pastor, but I've just heard a lot about the church and what the Lord's doing here. And so it is a, a, a blessing to be here. I know not everyone here is from this church, but uh, it is a blessing to be here. And it's just to see what God is doing uh, with the public ministry of the word and the private ministry. Both are absolutely needed uh, in all church ministry, the public and the private, uh, of counseling discipleship. And so what a, a blessing it is to be here. And it sounds a little bit... Um, Hearing uh, Pastor Brian's little testimony there is a little uh, alike mine. Uh, we make thousands of decisions every day. Have you? Are you aware of that? I mean, we make thousands of decisions every single day. Now, some of them are, are weightier in importance than other decisions, but every one that we make, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're supposed to do it for the glory of God. And so as we are facing these crossroads of decision-making throughout the day, even the little ones, eating and drinking, it is all to be for the glory of God. Uh, I grew up in a home, and I'll just give you a little background of, of my life. I grew up in a, a home with godly parents. So I heard the gospel. Since I can remember, my dad was in pharmaceutical research. Uh, and he left that and went into the ministry. And so I heard the gospel since I can remember. And I made numerous decisions for Jesus. Every Friday night at camp, uh, church camps, and I was asking Jesus into my heart. And I mean, I was, but, but no change occurred. I was still living for myself. Give me a few days coming home from a camp and I was back. The trajectory was I was living for my own advantage. And when I got into the teen years, it started getting worse. Uh, I do think you only have two choices if you're unsaved in a, in a home with Christian parents. Uh, you're either the prodigal son's brother, you, you think you're as righteous, or you're the prodigal and you just want to get away from the light. And I wanted to get away. Uh, I, I was not the one to think I was all that good. I just wanted to run and uh, get away from the light that was reflected in my parents' life from the light of Christ. So they gave me an option. I was 18. Uh, they gave me an option to go my last year in high school. I could stay there and live with them. We were down in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. Or I could go to a private boarding school up in Asheville, North Carolina. And I said, that sounds like a dream to me, just to get away from home. It was a Christian boarding school. I would be in Bible classes. I wouldn't be in a secular, you know, public school. I would be in Bible classes. I didn't care, just to get away from uh, my parents at the time. And that's where God saved me. Uh, my fall, uh, that fall semester of my senior year, uh, God took my heart of stone and made it a Heart of flesh and just a, a radical change. I mean, radical, just what uh, Brian was saying. Uh, and I wanted to please him. 
I wanted to follow him. Whatever he wanted, I, here I was, you know. But I was extremely fearful of people. I had a fear of man on steroids. Uh, I, my dad called me timid and shy, and then uh, Dobson came out, and so I had low self-esteem. I mean, I had all the things. I was just very fearful of people. I, I mean, speaking, ever speaking in front of people. So I loved camping. Grew up camping, grew up backpacking, and I thought, I'm going to go into forestry. I'll serve God. I'll help him take care of his general revelation. You know, I'll, I'll be out in the woods away from people. Um, and so I, I had these decisions. 18 years of age, I'm, I've got to make some major decisions. What do I do in life? And uh, do I stay single? Do I pursue getting married? I mean, I just had a lot of decisions, and I wanted to please the Lord. What do you want? And I had a similar experience uh, all around me were professors or teachers of the um, the let go and let God persuasion, known as Keswick, uh, let go and let God. And I, I soon found that there is the word of God, and people also thought there was God's word. So there's the word of God, the Bible, and then they had God's word which would be impressions. He just, uh, still small voice, like with all, you know, all of those kind of things were going on, and then you'll, you'll hear them. If your heart's quiet, you'll hear the Lord. And I'm listening. I mean, I loved outdoors, so I was out, and I, all I heard was birds. I didn't hear God's voice. And it was so frustrating for me. Uh, I can't tell you one one person would tell me something different than another person and how they knew they were supposed to be a teacher, how they knew they were supposed to get married. And I was floundering for years. And then I went on to a Bible college. Uh, my dad taught there as well and uh, at Columbia, a Bible college. And it was known for its Keswick position of let go, let God, and some mystical practices that were going on. And I I just wanted to be close to the Lord. I just didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what his will was. I didn't know how to please him. And I was listening. I was uh, impressions. Uh, just numerous uh, books that promoted mysticism were attractive to me. Uh, these were the people that just seemed to be like Moses, and they walked with God. And I went on a short-term mission trip uh, over in Europe, and the head of this mission uh, was a mystic. And by that, he just uh, he, he believed that he had this private communication with God all the time, outside the Bible. And so we were with this mission, and we were over there, and he says, I don't know where the Lord wants us to minister, which country in Europe. So I'm going to go out for a walk, he said. We were in a, an abandoned kind of monastery at the time. We were all just there for a week. And then he was going to go out for this walk, and it was, he said, you all pray, and I'm going to go out, and God's going to tell me which country uh, we're going to go and evangelize in this, this summer. So we're all praying, and then he comes in, and he says, the Lord told me it was Italy. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 
again, I'm like a sophomore in college now. I'm still wandering all over, trying to figure out what God wants. So I ran outside. I thought, maybe the Lord's still out there. Yeah, I mean, if he's still out there, apparently you just talk to him. I've got numerous decisions. There's this girl I was interested in. And I mean, I, I just, I just was looking for some, uh, verbal confirmation or guidance. And I didn't find the Lord out there. And, and it was the have and have nots. For the next several years, there are people who seem to talk as if they had something that no other Christian could have. They had the Word of God, and they talked about God's Word different. Some of the, like two books of the AA, you know, the good book and the big book. And like, I'm, I'm having trouble. So I kept, I had the, uh, what they call the paralysis of analysis. I would analyze every decision because I wasn't sure what pleased the Lord. And getting married was, it wore me out. Uh, the, the process of decision making, it, I, I, I don't want to make a mistake because you know what? If, if, if I marry her and I'm not the one for her, then guess what will happen to her? She'll have to settle for God's second best. Do you follow? That was the, the thinking going on and people saying you don't want to miss God's perfect will. All that stuff was going on. And, and we married, and uh, so I said, now it is God's will. Uh, I'm married. I said, you're going to follow me? And she said, when you start moving. I mean, she said it in a nice way, but I, w- I was so paralyzed by decision-making. So that's my background. I was, uh, I was flipping coins, not for who I was going to marry, but I was flipping coins on decisions. Uh, heads or tails? Do I do this, do that? Probably the most memorable decision I made uh, my senior year of, of college, Bible college. I still didn't know how you're supposed to make decisions and figure out how to glorify God and please him. But I had an opportunity to work in Atlanta uh, with a roommate that I had, and I could live at uh, his parents' house and work construction, or I could work at a restaurant there in Columbia, South Carolina. I had both job offers. I mean, I, I could work at both places. I was out in the woods again, listening, waiting for some impression. Don't want to miss this one. Do I go to Atlanta or do I stay in Columbia? And this is where I was at. That doesn't mean that's where you know other people are at, but this is where I was at. I looked up at the tree limbs, and and I didn't hear any birds, uh, anything like that. I just saw the tree limbs, and it looked like an A. The way the limbs were, it looked like an A. Atlanta it is. So I went to Atlanta and worked that summer. And that was graduating from a Bible college. I still did not know how to make decisions. And I have found that this is common. This isn't just unique uh, to one or two people. This is common. And you know where I find it a lot? In counseling. Guess why many are in counseling? Because of the decisions that they have made that have not been wise ones. They've not been according to God's commands and principles. And so it's you're, you're adrift on whatever impression, whatever feeling. 
And we're going to look at all the ways don't use tomorrow morning. You're going to say, oh boy, uh, I want you to know I'm not, I'm up here on a platform, but I'm not talking down to you. I am a fellow believer coming alongside. I've been through so much of the mystical, subjective practices. I really want to encourage you. If you're following God's commands and principles and your decision-making, I pray that this conference tonight and tomorrow and Sunday morning will just encourage you to excel still more. Just, you know, we can always improve. And that it would encourage you as you minister to other people. But if you're here and you go, man, I flipped a coin to come to the conference. Uh, it was head so, it was, uh, I, I need to go. You, you may have, you know what, I understand that. And uh, it is definitely God's will that you're here because you're here. But we're, we're going to look at what the scripture has to say tonight and tomorrow. And I, I pray that it will encourage you. But also, if you said, well, I've used all kinds of weird methods... Well, there's a part that will encourage you. You have never missed God's decreed will for your life. His sovereign will, you're you're right in it. He's He, he used the tree limbs in the sense that my my immaturity, He I didn't miss what God wanted for me. And I think that'll be encouraging to you, is that you never miss. We might be out and we don't follow God's revealed will, but you'll never miss God's sovereign will. And he can take decisions we make, even foolish decisions, and still turn for our eternal good and God's glory. So I pray that this will be an encouraging time uh, tonight and tomorrow and Sunday morning. But I am not talking down to you. I want to come alongside and, and encourage you. There may be some things that you say, I know most of this. Uh, there may be some things that you say, I, I just didn't realize that. And uh be encouraging and helpful and edifying. Another thing that I want to uh, mention, and and, uh, I just heard this uh, about a month ago, Uh, someone said, the way you talk about God's will sounds like the Bible is the third person of the Trinity instead of the Holy Spirit. And we... The Holy Spirit is extremely active uh, in our lives, both applying the work of Christ to our life, but I'm just going to run through it. He empowers us uh, with the power that raised Jesus from the dead in Romans 8, verse 9. He leads us in holiness. The Holy Spirit uh, is the third person of our triune Godhead. He comforts us. He strengthens and he enables us. He convicts us. Of sin, he illumines our minds, he dwells in us, and he has spoken to us. You're not going to be able to part God's word from God's spirit. This is the word of the spirit. It's the inspired word of the spirit. So I don't want you to confuse, uh, when I'm talking about the Bible, I'm actually talking about, this is God's word. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit moved holy men to write this. Um, You can't separate his word from the Godhead. This is the word of God. So I'm just, uh, I'm realizing more and more we're in a time where it's a tsunami of mysticism in the church. 
and very public speakers. Uh, I, I didn't mention names, but they may change tomorrow. But right now, some of the things they've written and said, uh, it, it's if they say there's the Word of God and then there's God's Word separately. And uh, that is not the way God gave us his word. He gave his word to all of us people. We all have his word. That's not the have and have nots. So I pray that that would encourage you. Uh, There is a quote by J.I. Packer. Uh, He wrote, Wrong ideas about God's guidance will lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do. If we don't have the right beliefs, you won't have the right actions. Right doctrine precedes right living. You can't live right if you don't believe right. So whenever I'm talking to people, uh, they're getting their information from somewhere. It may be the Bible, it may be science, it may be psychology, it may be their own intuition. But they're getting information from somewhere. Truth, what they believe is truth. So this is a good reminder to us that wrong ideas about God's guidance lead to wrong conclusions about the right thing to do. So there in your notes, and I'm so appreciative of the notes they've prepared for you and the booklet. I did a wonderful job there of uh, taking my notes and putting them into a booklet format. I want us to kind of go behind the scenes a bit and, believe, and look at beliefs, the importance of beliefs and practices. And I want to start with uh, the importance of knowing and doing God's will. Now, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When it came time and I was exposed to uh, biblical counseling or the private ministry of the word and discipleship, I my life turned around. I was so excited about how God's word is so practical and relevant to our lives as Pastor Brian was saying, I mean, for life and godliness, as the scripture says, it's to be saved and to be uh, uh, sanctified or be a Christian life. Is uh, God has given us what we need. Well, when I went on for more uh, training, it came time for a doctoral project, and I said, I want to do it on decision-making. I want to do my doctoral project on decision-making. And so I had to read everything that was out there on decision-making and the will of God. And then I had to, uh, what was going on outside the uh, Christian circles in the area of mysticism. And then I had to do a test project. And so I did it at Grace Community Church, where I was on staff with Kerry Hardy and Jerry Ragg and some of the other, the men that you are familiar with. And just test groups of some of the different fellowship groups. Where do you, how do you think... Uh, God speaks and how God leads. And it was interesting. Even in the most conservative churches, you're going to find individuals who will say and do things and you just go, whoa, what was, did I, you know, like one of the uh, women said, uh, God laid on my heart last night your name uh, to a younger woman that you're to serve on the board of the, the women's council. I was standing there and I thought, What's this young woman supposed to say? This older godly saint says, God put your name on my mind last night. God did that. And so you're supposed to fill the vacancy on the women's council. And I thought, oh, I was kind of looking at the young woman and she said, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm honored by that. 
but I'm homeschooling. I have two children, and you know what? I'm going to have to, I'll think and pray about that. I'll talk to my husband about it, and I'll get back with you. But I, probably not, now is not the time. And I went, yes. She was thinking biblical principles. But it's a tough one, isn't it? This is a problem that goes on in our country in another realm. It's called identity theft. Some 41 million people in the United States had their identity stolen. It's people who take your identity and they act as if it's, and now they can use your name. It's happening with God's name. It's identity theft. We're taking God's name and we're putting it on any impression we have, any desire we have, and saying, God told me this, God put this on my mind, and we there's no way to prove it. And that's the point. We have no way to prove that. One of the professors at Southern Seminary, Dr. Peter Gentry, said this is a form of taking God's name in vain. It's a violation of Exodus 20. Do not take my name in vain, God says. And it's, it's a form of that. It's taking God's name and putting it on things that God doesn't put his name on. And we're familiar with identity theft, but it's going on in a spiritual way as well. And so I just want us to start here with the importance of knowing and doing God's will. And you have several uh, verses there, I believe, in your notes. I'll just double-check that, but I think so. Yes, you do. On page 5, I'll try to keep right on the same page that you're on. Uh, Some of these we're not going to be able to look at just for sake of time, but you can look at them. And what I found out when I started looking from Old Testament, uh, and it's just a sampling that I put here, is that God isn't telling us to go find his will. A lot of these passages imply that we should know it, but do it. It's talking about doing his will more than finding it. It's assumed that you would know what his will is because it's been written. Both in the Old Testament and Deuteronomy 29.29, where it says the secret things belong unto the Lord. But the things revealed, the law, belong to you, that you may keep it and do it. In Psalm 19, the first six verses are about general revelation, but then verse 7 turns to verse 14, and it's about God's special revelation or his revealed will in the scriptures. In Psalm 119, I saw Dr. Zemek's book over here on the table, and I have sort of some repressed memories there. I took Dr. Zemek for Hebrew exegesis of Psalm 119, when I was in seminary, uh, the man dreams in Greek and Hebrew. He, he uh, such a scholar, and yet such a personable man. And so he was a mentor of mine throughout seminary. But Psalm 119 is how to live your entire life in light of God's word. I want us to look at uh, a few passages here. Let's go to Psalm 143. Psalm 143. We'll just take a look at a few of these. Psalm 
And if you go down to verse 10, Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to what? To do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So do it is what you'll be reading throughout Scripture, not go find it. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 12. I'm just going to skip over some of these, but just Matthew chapter 12. Verse 50. And this is the, the Lord Jesus. As, uh, and I'm going to pick up at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, uh, who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And then I want to take you to uh, Hebrews. Well, no, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. This is a familiar prayer because he it's almost like identical in a Philippians, but in Colossians... Paul is praying, and Timothy is praying with him. He says, we continually pray, he says in verse 9. From the day he heard the report about Colossae, he says, we have not ceased, verse 9, to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I just had to look at that. and I, uh, To be filled with the full knowledge of his will. Filled is to be under the dominating control of. It's the same word used, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be under the dominating, intoxicating control of God's revealed will. The full knowledge of his will. It, it's very similar to chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. His word is just a Our minds should be marinating in his revealed will. And that's what he's praying for the Colossian believers. And they were exposed to early forms of a a mixture of Judaistic legalism and Greek philosophy, which emphasized an intuitive knowledge and de-emphasized scripture. And when you de-emphasize scripture, you de-emphasize Jesus. So he's no longer divine. So that's why a Colossians 1 goes right into the deity of Christ. So that, that early form of Gnostic Greek philosophy and Judaistic legalism, and they were getting into visions and dreams and um, all kinds of different rules that were above Scripture. But he said, if this should permeate your mind, just dominate your thinking, and all spiritual wisdom, which is God's word applied, And understanding why. Here's the reason why we ought to know God's will, be under and filled with God's will. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please the Lord. To glorify the Lord whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. Right? It's to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
fully pleasing to him. And it'll look like this. You'll be bearing fruit in every good work. You'll be increasing in the knowledge of God. You'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, that's in difficult circumstances, and patience is with difficult people. And you'll do that with joy, all of that with joy. And you'll be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's a powerful, I mean, that's a prayer you ought to pray for yourself every day and for one another in the church. That we all would be filled with the knowledge of God's revealed will. Think it, ask questions. What does the scripture say? I came across a, in one of the books that I was reading. And whenever Christ was asked questions, it was one time after another. And I'm just going to read them. All these different responses of Jesus when he's asked questions. Listen to what Jesus says. And every statement has a reference after it. He says, have you not read what David did? Another time. Or have you not read? Another reference. Have you not read? Another one. Have you never read? And another reference. Did you never read in the scriptures? Have you not read that which was spoken to you by God? What did Moses command you? What is written in the law? How does it read to you? What then is, wait, wait, what then is this that is written? In your law, it has been written. Has it not been written in your law? When he was tempted, he said, it is written. Three times. He just took everyone back to scripture. When Paul is dealing with issues in the book of Romans, Listen to Paul. For what does the scripture say in Romans 4, 3? And and chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? In Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Like They just want to take you back to what has been said and, and written, not for new impressions and things like that. Just a good reminder to us. Now, Hebrews, let's go to Hebrews. A couple of quick references here in the book of Hebrews. And you're going to see what I was uh, saying at the very beginning about not so much trying to find it as if it's lost, but it's it's been revealed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. I know we're kind of just jumping into a whole section here. But in verse 36... He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When you have done the will of God. Then you just turn over to chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Sort of a benediction, as it says. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
So just a little sampling of doing it. Just constantly do the will of God. Do the will of God. Now, there are a lot of issues that you have to make decisions about. and Some of them go right on into the church, and your, from your home and your life, into the church. And I think about, uh, pick this up from Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crowley's book, most all of these, I've added several, but the list of conscience issues. You have to make decisions about these. Uh, I mean, in every church. Do you allow your children, or do you watch or participate in martial arts? Um, the issue of um, how you treat a Sunday, uh, listening to any secular music. Hard reading back there. Uh, dressing modestly, what does that mean? Only drink fair trade coffee, global warming. Uh, even owning a TV, let alone uh, watching one. Uh, or going to any movies. I mean, these are just things that come up. Translations of the Bible. We have people in our church who will have a cover on their Bible with big words, KJB. They just want everyone to know, in case you can't see it, on the... Uh, there's what translation. And so these become issues. You have to make decisions on them. And there's more. Do you even read anything that's been out there um, that would be maybe questionable with Harry Potter or wearing makeup or following strict schedule and growing kids God's way? Homeopathic versus antibiotics, public, private, and homeschooling, eating fast food unless it's Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Natural birth versus epidural. Listening to any kind of Christian hip-hop. Uh, body piercings and tattoos, smoking cigars, drinking alcohol in moderation, dating versus courtship, having children and when, how many children to have, uh, whether churches ought to go to a family-integrated model, does a wife work outside of the home, women in head coverings, whoops. Family devotions, if, when, and how often, being overweight, how, what does that look like, uh, biological adoption or foster parenting, a topical preaching versus expositional, and I mean where it's absolutely nothing but one, uh, perpetuating the Santa Claus myth, church with multiple services or multiple sites, birth control, or going into debt, borrowing for any reason, particular diets. Um, I don't mean because you have to. It's just chosen diets. End-of-life issues, and those are tough. Um, in the moment, they're definitely tough. And immunizations, taking psychotropic meds, Sunday evening services on the attires, tile music, poverty and suffering, social justice issues, uh, inserting blanks in seminar notes. Uh, boy, that can really get people if they can't get the one blank filled in. They just don't listen to another thing. They're just uh, off. And et cetera. And you know in a congregation, all people have different views on those things. And we're supposed to be in unity. Uh, you can see where... So what does the scripture say about all those? So that's what's most important. It's not what do I think or what do I feel is the language of today. I asked a guy the other day, he had a panic attack, and I said, uh, that's what he told me, I had a panic attack. I said, well, what were you thinking? I wasn't thinking anything. All right, what were you feeling? Well, I felt like I was going to lose my job. I just had left work, they're laying people off. Well, that's what he was thinking. But it, thinking has turned to feeling. And he was telling me, and then I, and then I felt like 
I would not be the man if I couldn't provide for my family. And then I felt, and I felt, and I felt, and I felt. Well, it was all these thoughts, but that's the language. But this is, we have to make decisions. Some, I mean, those, a lot of those aren't light issues. They're, they're pretty weighty ones. And then in a church, trying to keep a like-mindedness and just, what does the scripture say? And I was so thankful. That's a very helpful book. Dr. MacArthur's book on vanishing conscience and Andrew Nacelli and J.D. Crowley's book is very helpful on that your conscience is not your guide. The conscience does not produce any light. It only lets light in. And we need the light of Scripture into all of these issues. What does Scripture say about all of these issues? So it's a good reminder. Now, how are people making decisions today? Our culture uh, promotes, and I mean even our Christian culture, uh, promotes that truth is everywhere. Um, and, and a lot of Christian universities, uh, not at the Masters, but at a lot of Christian universities, you will find this, oh, there's truth uh, in how... You, you just come up with it, intuition. Intuition is you're the source of truth and you verify it from within. Then you have philosophy and psychology, just unsaved people studying unsaved people and then telling us what's normal. Uh, then you have the hard science, the empirical uh, method, and then you have the Bible. And this is what's promoted. All truth is God's truth. And people are like a shopping. It's like the Golden Corral. It's like people are just uh, take a little of that, take a little of this, and they fill their plate up. And I was reading a church historian, David Wells, and he seems to have his finger on the pulse of a lot of American evangelicalism. And he, in his, this one book that he wrote called The Courage to be Protestant, uh, he said there was a revolution. Some of us remember this a revolution that began in the 1960s when the culture shifted to go from what was fixed and universal, it turned inward to the self. This is what he writes on page 107 of that book. He said, it turned away from the meaning that is fixed and universal, turned toward meaning that is private and subjective. It shifted from absolute moral norms to those that are simply private. And he just, we we left our minds. And he says, today we traffic in the illogical and irrational without skipping a beat or wincing. We do not trust the mind. We lean far more confidently on the emotions. That's why even in the political realm, you're saying, what are they thinking? They're not. They're, they're, they've lost their minds. They, they traffic in the feeling, and obviously there's a lot more going on in, with the heart and the wickedness of the hearts. But this whole presenting it um, as if it's all equal, it, this is the way God gave us truth. Now, you have this diagram in your notes, and I'm so thankful for Dr. Robert Thomas who wrote an article explaining this. He said, when God gave us truth, if it's truth, right? It's not if someone claims it's truth. If it's indeed true, it comes and 
descending levels of certainty and authority. If there's truth out there, and there is, it comes to us from God in descending levels of certainty and authority. And what's first, absolute certainty, absolute authority, is God's Word. There's no other truth out there on this level. This is revelation. This is God communicating truth to us. We didn't discover this. God had to reveal this. And you could put a trillion exclamation points after that one. It's absolutely certain, absolutely authoritative. Let God be true and every man be found to be a liar if it's in contradiction. Our culture, even in evangelicalism, in the church, big broad stroke, church, doesn't believe this. Functionally, they don't live like this. And then you drop way down, and you have the best that man kind of comes up with. If, if it's true, then God allows people to do testing and experimenting and discovering things. That's not revelation. It's not on the same level as up top. So there's question marks on, you get empirical science, the hard hard science. Well, I'm thankful for hard science. But some things that are hard science today will change tomorrow or in 10 years. I mean, you just go back 100 years and some things they were doing in hard science to people. And you're going, oh, I'm glad they don't do that. So it, it some of it changes. But I'm, I'm thankful it's the best man can come up with obviously with God's help, if it's true, then you drop way down to another level of the philosophy and psychology. This is often unsaved people studying behaviors, observing behaviors, observing the uh, what they, they see. It's usually unsaved people studying other unsaved people and then telling us what's normal. Dr. Alan Francis wrote a book. He was a chief editor of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Disorders. He's a psychiatrist, retired now, out in California. He wrote, he was the chief editor of the DSM, uh, all the manual, the Bible for psychiatry and psychology. And he wrote a book and became a bestseller. It was called Saving Normal. And in it, he says, we can't define what normal is. We don't know what normal is. You look it up in the dictionary, it's, you're not abnormal. There's no definition of what normal is. He said, we use bell curves, and you can just be a few points away from what's normal, but now you're abnormal. And he says, we can't even define what a disorder is. Oof. So this is highly questionable when you get into this realm here of people making observations about other people. There may be some validity to it, but how they interpret their observations and how they prescribe out of those, usually anti what the Bible says. Now you drop to the lowest level. This is the worst level of certainty and authority, according to God's perspective. From within. I just know this. Uh, 
Truth comes from within, is verified from within. This is the worst level. And yet, in our culture today, this whole descending levels is completely flipped around. Our culture is exactly the opposite. The Bible would be the last thing they go to. And science is below what I feel. So if I feel like a woman, I'm a woman. They don't even care what science says. There's male and there's female. There is no gay gene. And all of these things that come up, it's against science, the hard science. They don't care. It's what they feel is the most important. So when we're ministering to people, I mean, in our churches, I mean, just in our culture, this is how we should be looking at truth, but it's not how they're coming in thinking about truth. So we have to be patient with people. The Lord has grown us over the years, and we need to love them, be patient with them. It's a big shift to go, I mean, you kind of, really reverse that whole um, descending order there. You have to just kind of reverse the whole thing as you're ministering to people. But what I, I so appreciate about the Lord knows this. His word is sufficient for 2020. And so He, it, it's you just preach and teach and minister God's word. And the truth really does set them free. And their minds, instead of, they stop being conformed and they get transformed by the renewing of God's word. Now, when we get into practices, I have been collecting over the years all kinds of practices. Now, I bring some of these up. I'm just looking at the time here. I want to be, want our break. But I, some of these I collected early on in my Christian life because I was reading to know how do I know God's revealed will. How do I know God's will? Not revealed will, just his will. And over the years I keep collecting. I mean, these are out of evangelical. I mean, I don't doubt that the people are Christians. I don't know them, uh, some of these, most all of them, I don't know them personally. But this is how they make decisions. And this is how I made uh, my own decisions. And it's how I, when I'm talking to people, how they often make their decisions. This is one particular a lady in Colorado who was praying. She wanted to, uh, whether, to know whether God wanted her to see her relatives out in California. She's in Colorado. And she said that while she was on her knees... She glanced up at her digital clock and it read 747. And she knew that that was a type of aircraft and that God was now speaking to her through the digital numbers on the face of the the clock telling her to go to California. And she told her pastor, and the pastor's writing this book. And the pastor said, I must confess, I was not convinced. I would have been more impressed if the clock had read 767. Uh, it'd take you a little while to think through that one. Uh, that would probably be a bit miraculous if your clock read 767. 
or DC-10, or, you know, some of the planes back then. This is another book that has sold a million copies, which is scary, uh, on e- uh, dieting for Christian ladies, uh, written by two Christian women. And you're supposed to pray this prayer at the end of chapter 3. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need specific guidance and direction in my life right now regarding my eating habits. You can see that I need help in losing the extra pounds on my body. Show me your will. Please speak to me and show me how much weight you want me to lose. That's not the time to look at the digital clock, by the way. (laughs) How much you want me to weigh and how many calories I need to eat each day. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, that sounds biblical, doesn't it? And this is what you'll find is the most abused portion of Scripture is narrative. About 60-some percent of the Bible is narrative. And they just go in and they pick it all out. A guy I just heard, a pastor who just resigned off the staff and said that the Lord spoke to him like Abraham and just go out and you don't know where you're going, but you just need to leave. And he resigned. Now, there may be more to it than he's letting on to people, but he's reaching into passages and just comes up with these kind of statements. So it sounds biblical. Speak, Lord, your servants listening. Now, God is supposed to, according to this prayer, show women how much they're to lose, how much they are to weigh, and even how many calories to eat each day. See, this is the kind of thing that gets into, well, how do you figure that out? How is he going to communicate that? And then it gets extremely mystical. This is a, this was actually an associate pastor before me uh, in my office out at Grace Community Church who was counseling a married couple who had problems from the very start of their relationship. And this associate pastor at the time asked this couple, how did you ever decide to marry in the first place. You've had problems your entire relationship. And the husband, this is uh, Dr. Um, uh, interpreting, God, interpreting God's Word, Dr. Mayhew, uh, wrote this book, and he recorded this incident. It wasn't him, but it was one of the associate pastors. And so this husband recounted how he had gone to his pastor from a different church, seeking to know God's will for himself and his girlfriend at the time, who was now his wife. That pastor of the other church reminded the young man of how Joshua and the Jews had marched around Jericho several times and how the walls collapsed. That's Joshua 6.15. So the pastor suggested that the boyfriend literally walk around his girlfriend several times. And if the walls of her heart collapsed, then he would be sure God wanted him to take her for his wife. So he obeyed. He circled the girl several times in the office and popped the question, have the walls of your heart tumbled? And she responded by saying she felt strange inside. (laughs) She didn't interpret that right. They both concluded that her heart had fallen in love, and so then they decided to marry, and they got married. They missed the trumpet blowing. That's what happened. No, it was actually... (laughs) Again, using narrative, jumping in, abusing narrative, most often is the problem here. This is a a writer. This is one of the 
Well, Dr. Dobson says this is the best book, he's timeless book, he said, that he's ever seen on the subject of God's will. This author, the book is entitled Impressions, From God or Satan and How to Know the Difference. He says you can detect the devil by one of two things. The devil always talks loud. Jesus always talks low and tender. And so he says when a spirit makes an impression on my mind, that impression can be made in a loud, boisterous way, or the conviction can come quietly, gently, and sweetly. When the devil makes an impression on people's hearts and when he speaks to the soul, he talks loudly. So if you have a a loud impression, that's of the devil. If it's this still, small voice, which sounds biblical, narrative, then that's God. And this is very, I mean, this is common kind of practices with people, with impressions. And they put God's name on it. That, That was God. Now here's uh, a scripture, uh, promise boxes and promise calendars. Are you all familiar with those? Uh, I grew up where there used to be little loaves of bread. Look like a loaf of bread, plastic box with verses cut out of context. And you just, you know, your breakfast table, you take one out, you read it, and you sort of name it and you claim it for the day. Well, they have promise calendars too. And so it's a verse and you're supposed to name it. And it's a promise of the day, they call it. But most of them aren't even promises. This is the worst one. I even ripped it out, put it in a, you know, frame this thing. Uh, here is the promise of the day, uh, Luke 4, 7. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Uh, Luke 4, 7 is Satan talking. This is, this is the Satan tempting Jesus. Satan said, if you worship me, it will all be yours. They kind of missed the context of who was saying it, this would not be a good day for claiming in that one. You know, I mean, I'm, some of these, I mean, we laugh at it, at some of these, but in some ways you want to cry for them because decisions are made on who to marry. Decisions are made, I mean, weighty, Decisions, leaving missions or going into missions or leaving the pastorate. One guy here, um, oh, where is it? He, he figured out that he wanted to, here it is, whether to take his father's business or join the military. He opened the Bible, found a reference to those who go down to the sea in ships. So he joined the United States Navy. Um, I mean, there are, I have missionary letters with, with all these kind of practices. These are people, I think, who mean well. Uh, I, I think they have a sincere desire. I don't know their hearts. God knows their hearts. I think they have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. And it gets you into trouble. Uh, this, I was on one flight leaving, uh, Atlanta, uh, up to Louisville, and this woman was sitting next to me, and I had my papers out, and I was grading, and she said, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. She said, I'm a Christian author. Oh, uh, I I didn't know her or ever heard of her, but uh, I said, so are you from Atlanta? And she says, well, right now I am, but God hasn't shown me the second donkey. 
Now, I've been collecting them for, for some years, some different ways people make decisions, but that one I've not heard of before. And so I said, did you say second donkey? And she says, well, you know your Bible, don't you? Well, apparently not that well. <laughs> and she said, yeah. Um, you remember King Saul in the Old Testament? I went, yes. And she said, you remember um, his dad's donkeys were lost? <laughs> and they, yeah, and they, they were found and they've since died. That's narrative. And she said, well, God had to reveal where the second donkey was at, uh, or the, the different donkeys. God had to reveal that. She, the, Saul couldn't find him without God revealing him. So God hasn't shown me where the second donkey's at. I, I didn't even know what to say, because I, I, I didn't want to play into that. Like, well, how's he going to show you? What was the first donkey like? <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to play into it. I just didn't know what. I said, I'll just add it to my list. I, I just didn't know... But this is where, and if you're not in any of this, this isn't, wouldn't describe your life. There are people around you who this does describe their life. There are family members. And some of you may have family members. This is the way they make their decisions. I have family members who make decisions like this. I mean, not immediate, but extended family. It's very prevalent today. You will hear major speakers stand up, women and men, and will just talk to you and say things like God told me this morning. You know, don't take this highway, but take that highway. And the Lord told me this, and the Lord told me that. And so you have the word of God, and then you have apparently God's words used, and I put that in quotes, God speaking outside of his, his word. So these are the practices uh, that are common around us. And we, we want to help God's people that have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. When, uh, just like Pastor Brian said, when I was saved as well as him and probably you as well, I want to please the Lord. I just don't know what pleases him at the time. I didn't know what pleased him. And so I began on this journey of how do you know, and everyone's telling me the impressions, he'll shout, uh, loud enough for the willing heart to hear, and I mean, all kinds of things. And I could have read some church, in church history. There were people, George Mueller, early on in his ministry, was extremely mystical. Uh, but the Lord grew him. Uh, George Whitfield went in and had, uh, they had a child. Uh, he, took a passage that for Zacharias for his son and said he's going to be a great preacher. And he said that about his son. I'm going to have a son. He's going to be a great preacher. He took a verse that applied to Zacharias for John the Baptist and he applied it to him. And when his child died, George Whitfield said, I've done a, a horrible thing. I've misused scripture. I took what does not apply to me and I applied it. I, I, I did not handle God's word properly. Now, it's not if we misuse scripture, we will. But don't do it intentionally. And how to not do it much at all and not do it at all. I mean, we, we want to grow in how we use uh, scripture. God's word is such a, a treasure, isn't it? God's word is a treasure. This is a, a man 
his name is Emil Nodell. Emil Nodell. Uh, he is 67 years old, lives in Belleville, Texas. Uh, he was out, he does some of the, goes around to garage sales and estate sales. And so he was out, uh, this was in the news just a, a few months ago. So he goes to this estate sale. He, he, in his own words, he said, I didn't need anything. i just out seeing what's out there. So he's out looking around at um, this Everything in that uh, estate is out there in the yard. And he sees this uh, dresser, three drawers. Uh, he d- doesn't need it. But he sees a sign on the side that says uh, $300 crossed out $100. And he talks to the person who's doing the sale, and they go, it's a 125-year-old year dresser. As a marble top, he goes, kind of pretty good deal. $100 for a 125-year-old dresser with a marble top. So he opens up the the different drawers, all of them empty, the three drawers there. He gets a guy to help him to load it, pays the guy, the people, $100. And he goes to load it, and they turn it sideways to get it in his truck, and they hear stuff, rolling uh, stuff moving around, uh, like sliding back and forth. And it, so he took a drawer out. I think you can see that uh, right up there. They took a drawer out. They just went, what, what is making all that noise? They put it back down, and that drawer is empty, that drawer is empty, and that drawer is empty. But what they did not know is right there. You see that bottom part? That is a drawer. It's a hidden drawer. When they opened it up, 15000 that's what they estimate, $15,000 worth of gold, jewels, jewelry, old medals, war medals, bank notes. I mean, it was a treasure in that Empty, what looked like an empty dresser. Uh, now, I didn't, I didn't know this until I went back and reread uh, other articles on this guy. But you know what he did? He um, he gave all of that content back to the estate people. He says, "I paid for the dresser." I didn't pay for that. That belongs to people in the family with the estate. Uh, those medals are probably family member uh, things. That you rarely find that. I don't know if the guy's a believer or not, but I thought that you, that's a rare find right there. Someone who will do that. But when I when I saw that picture, it reminded me even of a quote from Spurgeon who said that the canon of revelation, the scripture, is closed. There is no more to be added. God does not give a fresh revelation, but he rivets the old one. When it has been forgotten and laid in the dusty chamber of our memory, he fetches it out and cleans the picture, but does not paint a new one. 
There are no new doctrines, but the old ones are often revived. It is not, I say, by any new revelation that the Spirit comforts. He does so by telling us old things over again. He brings a fresh lamp to the manifest, to manifest the treasures hidden in Scripture. He unlocks the strong chests in which the truth has long lain, and he points to secret chambers filled with untold riches. But he coins no more, for enough is done. I pray that as we are reminded of that tonight and tomorrow and Sunday, and every time we're exposed to God's word, it is a treasure. It is it is to be valued more than gold, more than much fine gold. It's, it's a reward for those who seek the Lord through his word. And I just pray that we'll find that many times we neglect God's word in our decision-making and we miss the treasures that are there, the commands, the principles for wisdom and guidance. And God's written word reveals the living word. And we, we don't see Christ as clearly as we, we should be seeing him.